Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. We're still in this wonderful third chapter of Second Corinthians, but we finish it today, and it is a remarkable one. Before we go into it, let's approach God, even as we noticed from the Exodus 34 reading earlier that Moses would go in unveiled before God. We do, especially now in the New Covenant, because Jesus Christ has taken all our sin and shame and disgrace away. There is nothing blocking us from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we come before you with unveiled face. Not because of us, but because the blood of Jesus was shed that wiped that veil away. We thank you that this blood is pure blood, holy and powerful blood. We thank you that we get to feast on Jesus, his body and blood. And now in the word later in the sacrament. Grant us grace to take in Jesus Christ today and to see him clearly with unveiled face. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone in the world, including all of us, before our conversion, were and are walking around this universe and this life with a veil over their face, a spiritual, invisible covering that keeps them from seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. This veil is there as a result of the fall of man into sin. We read about that providentially today out of the Westminster Shorter, no, actually the Confession of Faith. We saw it there. We saw where that blindness comes in upon us upon our fall into sin and death. Everyone has this invisible spiritual covering But some don't, and those who today do not are the regenerate members of the holy and elect church of God, on whom the application of the atonement has already come, and in so doing, as soon as God applies the atonement, he removes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the veil that covered our faces. Everyone else, all unregenerate people, whether they're professing Christians or not, still have this veil over their face. Now, in the Old Testament, the veil was to some extent a protective device 
to keep the people from being overwhelmed by the shining face of Moses. But in the New Covenant Church Age, a veil over one's spiritual face is a lethal problem. It is a huge problem because no one who doesn't see God in Jesus Christ will ever live with him throughout eternity in glory. And therefore, let us make it our gospel goal on this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Day, to behold the glory of Christ by faith with unveiled faces. Now with that in mind, we're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. We start the outline here, veiled, unveiled faces. First, the doctrine. All of us fallen sinners possess slash exhibit either veiled or unveiled faces. Now, we made that point in the introduction, but it's so important and relevant that repeating it is justified and driving it home is important. And notice that here the word exhibit comes to play because this is where the action is. We will show by our lives whether the veil is upon us or been removed. Now keep in mind, there's that there was one person who lived who never had a veil like this covering his face, and that person was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, even though while in his incarnation and in his first advent, his intrinsic glory of his divinity was veiled so that we could actually see him, people could, that was veiled. Nonetheless, those who had faith by the grace of God, the gift of God, the regenerative power of God, were able to see through that to the glory of who that person was. And then later on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John actually got to see him in his glory as he spoke with Moses and Elijah on that mount. And for us here today in this church, right today in this worship service, we need and can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beholding that glory is the key to Christian living. We're going to see that. Let's do some important work in the doctrinal section here and settle on this teaching that all of us fallen sinners possess, exhibit either veiled or unveiled faces. First, if we are under the headship of Adam, our faces are veiled. Just as soon as we're conceived in Adam, in sin, we are born with this covering, this sheet over our spiritual eyes. We cannot see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That is the situation with everyone, because Adam was our federal head and he fell, and in thrusting us into the fall and sin and damnation and blindness, we gladly inherited his condition. He was indeed the federal head of this human race. Sin, rebellion, death, and damnation is what is for us his progeny, except for Jesus Christ, who removes that veil by the power of God. Unless we are tempted to blame Adam for our condition and say it's all his fault, recognize that we gladly shared in his sin. We would have done the same thing, and we are happy to share in his sin. And we, like him, as per Ephesians 2.3, have made ourselves by nature children of wrath. And so there's no room for blame or passing the buck. We would have done the same thing Adam did. We shared in his sin, we're glad to do it. 
And today, all unredeemed sinners, just like we were before our regenerations, walk around in this world with a spiritual, invisible veil over their faces. And this prevents them from being able to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, which is the essence of life and all good things. Now, this problem, dears, is a huge one, and it's absolutely insurmountable except for the miraculous, wonderful, supernatural, gospel grace power of the almighty triune God working through the Spirit, the gospel ministry, Jesus Christ being applied to souls. It is an impossible problem except for the grace of God. You know, in the gospel accounts, somebody would say to Jesus, this is hard. And Jesus would say, yes, with man it is impossible. That's interesting. Jesus Christ does say that with man it is impossible. This veil cannot be taken away by any surgical device, any work of humanity, any effort of humankind. Nothing can do it. Only the miraculous power of God. Now someone might be thinking, this doesn't seem fair. This seems a little unfair, but that very musing betrays an agreement with with Adam, our federal head, in his fallen sin. Because instead of owning our inherent and self-known guilt, the questioner who's saying this doesn't seem fair is rather seeking excuses for it or even justification of it. And it's a sure proof that there's no way around this. But don't despair, dears. There's more than enough hope, and we're going to see that in today's text in spades. Let's note that if we are under the headship of Adam, our faces are veiled. But if we are under the headship of Christ, our faces are unveiled. Again, let's be crystal clear about this. This requires a miraculous act of the one and only true and triune God. We cannot rip this stubborn veil off of our faces even if we wanted to, but we don't want to. That's the irony. No fallen sinner wants to. They want that thing over our... And so did we when we were in our rebellion and death, before our regenerations. Now, today's text makes it clear that God himself must do this unveiling of his people, this gracious work. We see this in verse 14b, which really leads to verse 16. So this veil blocks the view of life, joy, peace, goodness, purpose, every good thing. This is a major problem, this veil. It views us from Jesus, and it's removed at regeneration. And with regeneration, we get justification, atonement. We get faith as a gift. We get redemption, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into the church, sanctification and glorification, plus every other good thing. The veil goes, everything good comes to us. The Holy Spirit lifts this cursed veil from our eyes at the very moment he is applying the blessed atonement of Jesus' blood and resurrection to our hearts. Now the elect and redeemed church behold Jesus Christ with, quote, unveiled face. And notice that's interesting. That's in the singular, not the plural. This is a corporate church situation. We come together and we who are in Christ view him with unveiled face. Let's do some excellent and interesting exegesis of verses 12 through 18, 2 Corinthians 3. 
and study the process and elect sinner saint traverses. Now I admit that that's an interesting way to break down a text like this, but I find the word process actually is consistent and natural to the scripture lesson. And this process that we're studying today only applies to those who will prove by God's grace alone, as per the vows we heard today and as per the vows most of us here have taken in faithful churches, to be elect, to be able to persevere, to actually keep our word, to keep the covenant. It's a miracle, a miracle of God. Everyone else is stuck in death and can never get out without that veil being removed. Let us seek to better understand the process and elect sinner saint traverses. First, we start off as unregenerate dead people. Condemnation, verses 12 through 15. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, i.e. the end of the old covenant, the old covenant that we studied last week, had glory but was going away. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, i.e. the Old Testament, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Isn't that amazing? But that's who we were. We were dead and lost in trespasses and sins. We were rebels against God. We had a veil over our heart. We were conceived in sin and death and damnation. We deserved it too. It's only the mercy and grace of God that has changed all of that for us. But notice that even though we had to deal with the important issues at the end of that section I read, don't forget that Paul started out in this verse 12 with these words, since we have such hope, we're very bold. So Paul's not discouraged by this. Don't forget, Paul was the ultimate Calvinist, if I can use that word in an anachronistic sense. He's not surprised by this. He's not discouraged by it. He doesn't say, oh, woe is me, how can I do ministry in the world since everybody has a veil over their eyes and I don't know who the elect are. No, he goes forth boldly. He says, as he did, we have such hope, we are very bold. And this is despite the fact that he details the nature of sin in a fallen world. This is the state we're in, dears. The reason people sin is because we're sinners. This is the whole answer to the whole issues of life. And Jesus Christ, of course, is the absolute answer to all of it. The Apostle Paul was a realistic theologian minister, though, and he fully accepted the Scripture's insistence of the effects of the fall and the blindness that sin brings on fallen humans. But there's, here's something very important. It's very critical that we view ourselves as those who started out as unregenerate dead people. There was a time when we were under the wrath and condemnation of God, rightly so. Just by being conceived in Adam, that's all it took. We agreed with his sin. We shared in it. We were completely one with him in it. 
We need to own that. It's important because if we don't, we're never going to comprehend the glories of the gospel and the jewel of that gospel, the person of Jesus Christ. We're just not. We have to own this reality. Now, Paul uses the metaphor of the veil in two ways in these verses 12 through 15. The first way in verses 12 and 13 is more or less positive. Moses has the veil over his face. We read about this in Exodus 35. Especially he has it over his face after he's been in the direct presence of God. So he comes down from the mountain or being in the presence of God and his face is shining. It's just glowing. And so that's not so much a negative. And Paul teaches here that Moses used the veil to shield the people. This is interesting from the eclipsing or going away nature of the glory of the Old Covenant. So if you were here last week, you saw the glory of the New Covenant. It's like the sun, the glory of the Old Covenant. It's like the moon. They both had glory. But the Old Covenant's glory was going away. And he wore that veil to shield them from that eclipsing, going away glory. As we read of this event, as we did in Exodus 34, 29 to 35, I myself got the impression that the veil was there as well, at least to somewhat protect the people from being overwhelmed by the brightness of Moses' shining face. But the second way Paul uses this imagery of the veil, starting in verse 15, as he transfers that image from Moses to the people of Israel is negative to be sure. In verse 14, the veil is still over Moses in that his writings, at least the Pentateuch, the first five books of the holy book, they are veiled to unbelieving readers. So those who read his writings are are not understanding it. It's veiled to them. They can read the words. They can read the Hebrew if they know how to read Hebrew. They can read it in English, any other language, but they don't understand it. Remember the call to worship today out of Luke 24? Jesus opened their understanding, to their minds to understand the scriptures. This is a great blessing of regeneration. We're going to find out that no one who's outside of Christ, understands the scriptures. Only those in whom the Spirit dwells. And then in verse 15, the veil is now seen to be over the hearts of unresponsive, non-regenerate perusers or readers of Moses' books. Nevertheless, the beauty here that we don't want to miss is found in verse 14c, which says, only through Christ, get that, Only through Christ is the veil taken away. We start off as unregenerate dead people, condemnation, and the sovereign God makes us alive in Christ, justification, verses 16 and 17. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Beautiful verses. These lovely texts, these are teaching us what happens in regeneration. Now when it says, when turns to the Lord, it's not implying, of course, that we do that on our own or our own initiative. We don't ever turn to the Lord unless the Lord first accosts us. Regeneration happens before we even profess our faith in Christ. 
We will never profess faith in Christ unless we're already born again. The Holy Spirit having done that work. And then when we hear a clear gospel from the church of Jesus, then we believe it because we're born again. Regeneration, justification, atonement, all those blessings come to us. But this is when and where the veil is removed, that justification, that regeneration, verse 16b. And the agent of that unveiling is the blessed and liberating Holy Spirit of God, verse 17. So the Holy Spirit does this wonderful work in the lives of his God's people that he brings into his church. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these two wonderful verses today, but please note that this is the turning point, the flashpoint between death and life, hell and heaven, Christ and Satan. This is the place of justification, wrought in the blood, righteousness, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, applied to us by the blessed Holy Spirit. And as he does that, he takes this invisible spiritual veil covering our eyes, away from us forever. He gives us faith, which, as I mentioned, is after, subsequent to regeneration. We start off as unregenerate dead people. The sovereign God makes us alive in Christ. And finally, we grow in Christ's likeness through beholding the glory of Jesus by faith, sanctification, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, singular, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Well, dears, this is the most practical verse that I know of in all of Scripture on the doctrine of sanctification or are becoming more like Christ, or growing up in Christ, or maturing in him. I know of no other place in the scripture more clear. If we want to become more Christ-like, if we want to grow up in Jesus, then this is our text. What this verse 18 is telling us is that we grow in our faith and love for God through consistently beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. We grow in our faith in and love for God through consistently beholding the glory of Jesus Christ himself. So how do we do this? And how do we do it with an unveiled face? Well, the unveiled face is the face that has full access to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who can enter the throne room, who can come before the throne of grace, who can crawl into the Father's lap, spiritually speaking, who can look right into his glorious face, metaphorically speaking, without shame, disgrace, or any hindrance whatsoever. The unveiled face can do this because... That face knows that the heart of that face has been thoroughly cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on that person's behalf, him or her, has complete open access to God. There's nothing hindering you from 
this access. God invites us, even commands us to come into his presence with singing, with joy, into the church, the house of prayer for all the nations, into his presence throughout the week. Boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need, as the book of Hebrews teaches us. This unveiled face here, the corporate body of the whole church, has unbridled confidence in Jesus. We know ourselves to be children of God, in covenant with him, baptized in him, members of his holy church. We go into his presence in prayer, and we get to know our Heavenly Father. We share our hearts with him. We unburden our souls before him. We lay out before him everything. He knows everything anyway. We have full and free access to him. He loves us in Jesus Christ perfectly. He loves us as much as he does his own son. The world, Satan, the flesh, our pride, our ignorance, our feelings of inferiority, all these things would keep us from this most glorious privilege, responsibility, and I may say duty, a glorious duty, to come into his presence. And here's the key, dears. Here's how you do verse 18 right now. The more we do that, the more we pray, the more we get to take advantage of this access that we have as the church of God, the more we will enjoy the experience. We'll be thrilled with it. It will enlighten us. It will enhance our lives. We will love being in our Father's presence. And the more we enjoy being in our Father's presence, his house, his, his prayer closet, our times with him, the more often we will desire to continue to be in his presence. We'll recognize that everything else falls far short of the glory of God. That nothing else can take its place. And the more we are in his presence, here's what happens. The more you with unveiled face as the church of Jesus behold the face of your Father in Jesus Christ in prayer, the more you are conformed into the image of his own natural Son, Jesus Christ himself. This is how Christians grow. Where does it start? Where you are right now in the church on Sunday. Can't do it any other way. Where does it end? In your prayer closets throughout the week. As you have heard him, you've learned from him, you've seen the invitation, the grace of God, you take that home and you enjoy it. Day by day by day. There's, if we want a dynamic one degree of glory to another Christian church life, and notice it's one degree of glory to another. It's Sunday to Sunday. It's just like the way our children or grandchildren grow. It's degree, a little now, a little more, a little more, a little more. If we want it, we may have it. But in order to have it, we must know ourselves to be forgiven, churched, covenanted, baptized, children 
of God who in our own selves, in our own flesh, we recognize are still dirty, rotten sinners to the core, and yet all our sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. We don't deny that we're still in our flesh completely rotten, corrupt, fallen in Adam creatures, but we're not under Adam's federal headship anymore. We're under the federal headship of Christ in the new covenant. Glorious. And wonderful is this truth. We're loved by a holy and wonderful Heavenly Father, perfectly loved, forgiven, all in Jesus Christ alone. As always, let's apply these verses a little more and comprehend together why the issue of veiled slash unveiled faces is critical. Beloved, obviously, if we can't see the glory of Jesus Christ, we're in big trouble. The reason is, no one is forgiven and redeemed who does not behold Jesus Christ by faith. But it's degrees of glory, from one degree of glory to another. So if your beholding seems weak and paltry and small and starting and you're just getting going, don't be discouraged. It's one degree of glory to another. But throw yourself upon him. Enter his presence. Give yourself wholly to him. You will see that you'll enjoy it. You'll love it. It'll make you excited to love him more. You will want to be in his presence. This is how you grow by grace. The thing that is in the way, though, in the old man is that veil that lies over our originally conceived and spiritual faces. But I will say... For all the regenerate, that veil's gone. Now, the flesh, the world, the devil, your own weakness may try to convince you, oh, I think I still have the veil on. Do you know, do you believe in, do you love Jesus Christ by grace? That veil's gone. Whether you think it's still there or not, it's gone. Let's be able to understand better why this issue of veiled, unveiled faces is critical. And these are important points. First, because... Even the Bible will mean nothing good to us without regeneration. Doesn't Paul say that in this text very clearly, especially at verse 15? Doesn't he essentially say that exact same thing? Do we realize, dears, that there are a lot of religious people, Christians and non-Christians, who read the Bible without seeking the one to whom the Bible points? In fact... Every single person, whether it's a Christian, a Jew, or otherwise, who reads Moses or any other part of the Old Testament or the New Testament and does not look for Jesus Christ in it, still has the veil over their eyes. Every single one of them still has the veil over their eyes. It is seeking Christ in it that is the proof that the veil is gone. There's no magic in reading the Bible, dears. Lots of people read the Bible. Lots of unbelievers read the Bible. Lots of God-haters read the Bible. Lots of Bible scholars read the Bible. Lots of people who know Greek and Hebrew read the Bible. And they have no love for God. No love for Christ. The veil is over their eyes. And anyone who studies the scripture devoid of faith in and love for Christ is an abomination to God. 
It actually adds to their condemnation because now they're seeing the revealed written word of God, the special revelation, and they're not believing it. They're not seeing Jesus in it. Paul talked about that in today's text. They read the Old Covenant, but the veil is over their eyes. Now, there is one exception to that rule, and I want to say that, and that is this. In the person in whom the Holy Spirit is working, in the sense that that person is, even if without knowing it, reading the Holy Scripture by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, seeking Jesus in it, even though he or she doesn't realize it. That's the exception. So there is one exception to reading the Scripture where the veil is not yet officially removed, if you might want to say, or you could say that if they're doing that, maybe the regeneration's already happened, even though they haven't experienced it in terms of their actual application of faith. Let us not be fooled by religion, religionists, and those who talk a lot about the Bible, dear saints. The true and holy scriptures are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do not seek him in it, preach him from it, then we are missing the whole point, and it becomes not a blessing but a curse. Why this issue of veiled, unveiled faces is critical, because even the Bible will mean nothing good to us without regeneration, and yet every good thing will be meaningful for us as we know and love Jesus. And this is the positive flip side of the equation. When Christ Jesus is revealed to us in the preached gospel of his church, based in the sacred texts of the Old and New Testaments, then we possess in him all good things, even the world itself, as per 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. We're given everything. When we hear him preach, when we then subsequently can read of him in the text, we're given every good thing, all of it, in Christ. When the veil is lifted by the blessed Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, presented to the vista of our spiritual eyes, is a glorious landscape, a universe of wonder in Jesus Christ. But there's, apart from Christ, nothing is glorious. For those who still have the veil over their eyes, nothing is glorious. They may behold the wonder of God's creation and think, oh, that's glorious. Yeah, nothing compared to Jesus. Christ alone is glorious. How may any wicked, fallen, rebellious sinners like us enjoy such a blessed life? How can this be? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his great gospel of mercy, whereby we believe his blood was shed for our sins, his resurrection was for our justification. He died for sinners, real sinners. We're going to see that here at the table. Let us love this glorious Redeemer today. Indeed, all who see him, behold him, love him. It's an absolute maxim of the spiritual life. If we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, we will never be the same. And if we continue to do it, and we will, that's encouragement for you. If you've ever done it, you will continue to do it. 
you will be made more and more conformed to the image of Christ degree by degree. Beloved, unveiled or veiled and unveiled faces determines whether we exist in death or in life. In Jesus, who is life, let us thank God for unveiled faces. Let's pray. Father, thank you for unveiled faces and the grace of God in Jesus Christ that removes that veil. Thank you that you give us this free and open access to you to come into your presence and to enjoy you. We thank you that you were kind to us. We didn't deserve to have that veil taken away. We were happy to have it over our eyes. We were happy to be ignorant of you and all good things, all life in Christ. But you had set your affection upon us before the creation of the world. From eternity past, you had elected your church unto glory. And this would happen through the unveiling of our faces in the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing the person of Jesus that we have with unveiled face, open access to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.